0: Okay, here we go, 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 here we go. It's good that you love each other, that's good. Here we go, will you send that around, please? Okay, okay, let's pray, let's go. I know just, uh, you guys will just keep going, which is actually fantastic. Let's pray. Lord God, you've kindled in us a desire to dedicate our lives to your gospel, You've drawn us to your altar and you've fed us. Now grant us grace during these next days and months and years together that we profitably use every opportunity to study, to learn, to bless, and to walk in a way that's worthy of our calling. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. uh, um, Hey, just to the announcements um who's who's coming to oktoberfest you coming bring your own beer i've been still trying i've been looking for gunter i wanted gunter to be my official you know oktoberfest seal of approval but they're still in germany i think so i gotta as soon as he gets back uh i got an image of gunter and lederhosen that i can't shake so i'm you know it may or may not it may or may not happen it may or may not happen we'll see what happens Um, Thank you. I just should say, you know, there's been so many good things that have happened over the past uh, couple of months, and all these things, you know, the women's thing and the men's thing, and there's stuff, there's so much good stuff coming up, the Oktoberfest, John Kleinig is going to be here, Uh, you know, already in your head, Christmas sharing is going, and then there'll be gifts for grace right after that, so there's so many really good things. Keep up, you know, encourage your friends, keep up, you know, read the calendar. The governing board is just trying to get, you know, a thing or two per month, you know, there'll be some things that'll just gather you for some fun, like Oktoberfest. Just come, bring your friends, goof off, um, just come and, you know, have some fun. There's some things that just sort of gather you to refresh you and so you can get to know each other and encourage each other. There are some things we really want to do some good. Really, Christmas sharing, you know, we always do a great job with that, so get that on your radar already. Uh, but it's just, it's just very nice the way things are sort of playing out. Now, uh, today, the money will go to Lutheran Malaria Initiative, so that's good. Toss the money in, and it'll go in that direction. Uh, let's see. Questions about anything else? Anything we need to do, not do, and should do? Karen Schrott. You got a book? I should say something about that book, by the way. If you're a woman and are coming to Friday Women's Bible Study. Yeah? Just take one for your nurse. We can uh, we can afford that. Just uh, give it to her, okay? So um, now look, they all disappeared. You people who stole these books. Oh wait, the vicar. Okay, good. He hid them. I left him. Yeah, that was actually. I wonder why I should leave. These books are for Friday women's Bible study. It looks looks like it's going to hurt you more than it will. Um, We're just doing like a chapter, which is ten pages, and it just you don't have to buy the book. But I didn't buy them, and then people wanted to buy the book, and so. You know, there you are, it's 17 bucks or something like that. It's 17 bucks or I think two cases of beer at Oktoberfest. I think there's a barter, barter system available if you see John Crow. So, if you didn't pick it up Friday, if you're going to come to Friday Women's Bible Study, grab a book, it's very fun, and we're doing, uh, Pastor Nelson doesn't even know if I think it's chapter 18. Vic, is it chapter 18? Next time, we're doing chapter 18. So, it's just these little pieces. You don't have to read, but there's more than we can talk about. Okay, good? Everybody Okay. All right, so um, grab a Bible. We should start. Uh-oh. Did I stop? There. Can't I can't fast. move. Can't move All right, can't move too fast. Believe me, that's becoming less and less a problem for me. Uh, moving too fast. I mean, this is how slowly I'm moving. I'm sitting outside with my dog on the porch, and a coyote the size of an elephant, you know, walks through the backyard. Now, the great thing about my dog is my dog has... No senses. The only thing my dog can sense is food. So I actually had a cracker in my hand. I mean, it's from here to there, this coyote. And it's I had some experience over the years. You know, I lived in Colorado here. It was very well-groomed and very large, usually kind of mangy and stiff-footed. No, no, this was your suburban sort of coyote, well-fed, <laughs> little necktie. Looking around, not bothered. With I'm just like, you got to be kidding me. So you know, I, I didn't move. I don't have the you know skills anymore. I did ask my wife to hand me the baseball bat. That's as far as I went. Though we live in a very rough neighborhood, you know. Um, last I saw, it, it was going right toward the Couts' house. It should've, should've, everything should be okay. I mean, it should be okay if they get gets down that far. All right, Romans eight twenty-eight. Now the thing is, is I'll tell you the punch. Everybody, everybody quotes this passage when their lives go to pieces, which is great. I mean, great thing that the Holy Two members of the Trinity are praying for the Trinity on your behalf. Um, everybody reads this passage, quotes this passage when their life is difficult. That's great, but it's only part of the passage. you know. So it's a great passage when things are horrible. It's also a great passage when things are great. This whole notion that God chooses you, energizes you, gives you a spirit, Christ lives within you, and then He cooperates with you. And I mean that in the sense that the Lutheran Confessions say that, which is He gives you a new will, he gives you the will he gives you the energy he gives you the knowledge he gives you the target he gives you a neighbor he gives you a Eucharist he gives you all these things to bundle up into this glorious life that is to be lived in the image of Christ your big brother that, that's the part you read when things uh, the other part is the the other part- is, you know, the other part is true, but what, I, what I'm hoping is that you'll see the other side of this story and welcome that as, wow, this is great and this is the life we want to live together. So, I just feel like Phil Donahue, and you're so young, you don't even know who that is. You know, that's, 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 that's part of the problem. so uh, old. Oh, my goodness. In your later years, in your later years, people will bind you up and take you places you don't want to go. That's how the scriptures talk. Uh, is that better now? Is that a little bit better? Alright, I actually don't care where I stand. I just uh, it's very difficult for me not to move though. Um, I mean it took me ten years just to open my eyes and look at you. So here we go. All right. We had to be here early to get that. Romans 8. We know, you know, we know this. This is this is the word for this is the word for fact. We know, this is solid stuff, we know that in everything, God works for good for those who love him. This is translated various ways. It can be translated, um, you know, God cooperates with those, or God pulls people in and uses them well, but God, or God works for good with those who love him. It's the with, you see, that is the to be really careful here. I'm not saying, I'm not saying, I'm on record as saying, and I will hear this later on the internet to say, I'm not saying, this is not about your salvation. You're not cooperating with God in your salvation. I'm not saying you and the little baby Jesus work your salvation out together. What I am saying is what Lutherans always say, that it, with Christ living inside me, Galatians 2.20, and the Holy Spirit energizing me and leading me, and both of them praying for me, that... I have a new life and a new will as you do too and together, not because it was my idea, but together, I'm a real person who's really been acted upon as you are real people who've really been acted upon. You've been given new knowledge and new love. You've been given divine gifts. You've been given things you didn't naturally have which means then God works with you. He shapes you. He moves you. And the interesting thing is there's only one like each one of you. You know, over there on that side of the room, your life is going to look very different than somebody on this side of the room. There's just one. It's one of the coolest things about divine love that he loves you and your life and he puts it all together and he works with you in a way that he works with nobody else, which does a couple of things for you. One is it keeps you from being too critical of other people, you know, because they're living in cooperation with God in a different way than you are. And two, It keeps you from having to compare yourself to other people. Did you see the new article where people, the more time you spend on Facebook, the more depressed you are? It's now been studied. Did you see it? Why are you depressed? If you go to Facebook a lot of the time, why? Everybody else is perfect. They're all doing better than you are absolutely people i because people they don't put up the bad stuff they're like they don't put up i left my socks lying around and they're yelling at me because i didn't take the garbage out no it's like hey i got my car waxed and i got a raise okay so people who spend more time on facebook now the study's in finally it's like telling us the things we always always knew about ourselves you know you know the study's in you the more facebook time the more depressed why because you compare yourself the scriptures are very clear don't compare yourself with other people there's only one like you so here you go We know that in everything, God works for good with those who love him. He loves you. You love him back. He works with you. You work with him. I'm not talking about justification. I am talking about sanctification. I'm not talking about you making the first move. I am talking about you responding to the divine gift that you've been given. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. So he knew it. He's outside time. He chose you. What an act of love. You didn't choose him. He chose you, right? Right? The big part, though, is to be conformed or pressed into the icon. That's the Greek word, into the icon, into the image of his son. He chose you to be pressed. It's often the word for pressing a coin. You have soft metal. You put it inside something. You press it. And then it comes out, and it looks like that. He chose you to be conformed to that, or transformed, changed. It is—it's from the metamorphoal verb, the same verb that's used at transfiguration. Jesus was transfigured, so he chose you to be to be pressed, to be changed, to be transformed, to be transfigured. It happened to Jesus. Happened to you. It's very interesting, you know. He chose you to be changed into the image of his son, which means now. The Christian life, the divine life, divine love, they don't mean whatever you want them to mean. It means they mean what Jesus is. You can be anything that Jesus is, humanly speaking, according to your capacity and your sinfulness. You know, you get to live the Eucharistic life. You get to live the divine life. You get to live the Jesus life. You're pressed in that image. It's not subjective. It's different for each one of you, but it's not subjective. There is an objective, ordered way about about going about life from forever in imitation of the divine life. I'm trying to imagine now how many things I'm saying to you, but then I'm thinking to myself, you've heard all this before. You know this, that you're being pressed into the divine image of Christ, which means you're drawn to participate in the life of the Holy Trinity, and someday, someday, you get to go home and live back the way Adam and Eve lived, You know, where all the people who've died all your friends and family, your parents, your kids, all those people who have died, they're having a great day and they're waiting for you. And actually, when you feel sorry for them, they're feeling sorry for you. Because they're having a better day than you are. And this is a pretty good day. We're at the Eucharist, the sun is shining, you're here, we love each other, this is great, things are popping, your families are great, Jesus loves you, and they're feeling sorry for you because their, their, their lives are... Immeasurably more than what we could ever even conceive. I mean, all of that is tucked in here. For new you, predestined you, conformed you, transformed you, transfigured you to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Welcome to the family. Right? Now, uh, just as an aside, you know, it's very appropriate to talk brother and sister talk. But you've to—you got to talk brother talk first before you talk brother and sister talk because uh, it was a patriarchal society and men inherited things and men had stature. And so he's trying to say, he's not trying to be exclusionary uh, because later in Galatians he'll say, you know, no slave, free man, woman when it comes to these gifts. But he's trying to use the term, the greatest term of honor, that you'd be a son of the father. So... If there's a father, and Jesus is his son, and Jesus is your brother, then you're a son too. Makes sense, right? You're part of the divine family. So he's what he's doing is, is telling you how honored you are. This is great, great stuff. In order that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined he called, and those whom he called he justified, and those who he justified he glorified. He's telling you the process how you get to the point where all this good divine life on earth happens. So what do we say? Okay, so, and that's the point I actually want to start with, in case you thought I started earlier. Um, you know, The point I want to start with is that, I mean, when you hear this, how, how do you feel about that? I mean, what's, what, what response do you have to that? You should talk sooner because we're only going 45 minutes, okay? So when, when you hear this from Jesus, what, what sort of reaction do you have? When somebody talks to you this way, how do you feel about that? What's your response? One is thanks because you could certainly have a different kind of life. I actually, honored is the thing that comes to me. I'm like of all the people in the world, it's like when somebody you know, chooses to marry you. Of all the people in the world, they chose you. Of all the people in the world, you were chosen. I mean, you were chosen to work in the church. This is this is great. What else? Yeah, it is quite amazing. Frankly, if you look around the room, I can see what you're talking about. What's that? Ah, well, yeah, other people looking at you are having the same. Yeah, they are. They're like, believe me, and it's coming right back at me too. I'm like, right there. See, but I mean, yeah, it's quite amazing. I mean. It really is how the Lord takes the rabble and He constructs them into this glorious thing. There never was anything greater than, you know, the church. There was never anything greater than the church, and you know, look at us. So, uh, yeah, just thankful to be honored and amazed that it was actually me. What else? Anything else? Awesome. Awesome. It, it is awesome. It is really an awesome thing. You're exactly right. It is just, I mean, and so let's just take you. You've had a good long life in the church. You've had tons of friends. You got the best husband in the room. Think about it. I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah. You can you can pay me later, there, Kay. Okay. You got the best husband in the. I mean, so just. I mean, this is yeah. It really is quite a quite a remarkable thing, Mrs. Butcher. Yeah, it is humbling in a way. Um, people who you can feel honored and humbled at the same time, right? Those are not antitheses. There's a false modesty where you say uh, you. No, I mean, you are who you are, and He chose you, and He gave you gifts, and He loves you, and you're the object of His affection. But um, it's one of those things if you remember where you came from, like if you can remember where you came from, that's humbling because you realize the key key to humility is knowing that you didn't do it yourself, right? It was given to you as a gift, and you didn't deserve it, and that's the humbling part. And even people who are very accomplished who remember um, all the people who helped them and all the gifts they were given. That's why gratitude and humility often go together. Thankfulness and humility, they all fit together. So that's very good. Anything else? Yes, please. No, <laughs> No, exactly. I think the image itself does have some, especially when they tap it with that big hammer a couple of times, right? I mean, because there's things that are going to change and there are even things you're going to lose. There's stuff that squeezes outside the mold and sort of gets cut off, right? So um, there is a bit of fear and trepidation, and the fear can run in a couple of different directions. One is the pain of faithfulness, Right. Um, you know, one of the things you can you can have is the pain of faithfulness. What other pains can you have? Can you think of any others? One, one I think, is the fear or the pain of maybe thinking you're not up to the task, you know? It's an awesome, it's a big task, you know? It's, there's a lot to do. There's, It's hard to love... Um, um, it's just hard to love people some days, you know? What else? Thank you. Very much. Mr. Orton. I think of the um, late Wolbegon, Minnesota, in, uh the <laughs> ethnic crown. Yes. It's, really I, it's not <laughs> mythical, Doc. It, it, <laughs> that, that is really Minnesota, young man. Yes, it is. Yes, that is really what it looks At least from Iowa, <laughs> what it like. <laughs> what I wanted to say was it could be worse. It could be worse. Yes, it could. <laughs> yeah, that's the Lutheran way sometimes. Uh <laughs> It was just let it alone. It could be worse. Yeah, there are. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, yes, sir? Since Matthew 4, 4 were to live and learn by every word. Yes. Then I wonder why uh, 828 is in the present tense, but 29 and 30 are in the past tense. When are we learn from that? 29, so it's, we know in everything right now today, present tense, God works for good. Right? So that's pretty self-explanatory, right? Whatever you and I are up to right now, he's... So basically, you would sum that as saying God is at work, right? But the past tense verbs are predestined and conformed. Are those the ones you're looking at? No, 29 and 30 are all past tense. Yeah, well, that was from eternity. You're predestined and you're predestined to be conformed. So predestined in eternity, to be conformed someday. You're not going to be conformed before you're born, for example, right? And those he predestined, he also called. So there is the eternal calling of salvation history, right? And those he called, he justified. So you're justified even before you... It's applied to you, right, in a sense. The cross happened 2,000 years ago in the past you know, you're roughly 36 or 37 years old and until it was applied to you, right? It didn't come into the present tense. Um, and those he glorified. And to be pulled into that, uh, I'd actually want to look at that, the last one about being glorified. Because glorified is just the, that's just the technical word for being holy. He makes them, makes them holy. So, anyway, good. Yes, Karen. about being predestined. Can we then take it a step further and say once saved, always saved? You can't do that. You can't say that (laughs) once you're saved, you're always saved. Uh, There's a couple of troubles with that. Um, One is that makes the gospel irresistible. He makes you... It makes... It takes away your free will. There's no free will for a person who has to has to um, has to be saved, and that's that sort of violates what it is to be human. If you don't have a free will, you're not human. You're some other kind of thing, whatever thing that might happen to be. Um, so, but the other thing is, is it's very difficult to consider to to th- figure out what those terms mean because they happen outside time and in the mind of God. So, uh, about the best you can do is just say um, they happened. And we have some sense of what the import is, but the, the the real issue here, I think, is, I mean, it's very nice that he sort of Paul lays out for us this this sort of very logical line of how things work, but the big deal is, frankly, how you're merciful and kind to other people in your new forgiven life, in your new, or as Lutherans would say, it, the big thing is the life of the cross. So what does it mean when you're transformed to Christ or transfigured to Christ or conformed or pressed into that image? You don't just get, you know, the little baby Jesus in Christmas, you get you know Christ on the cross and his death, pain and suffering, but you also get his resurrection and his new life, right? So you get all of those things um, put together. Let me press you to point number 5. Do you still have last week's outline? Okay? So I, I have I've sort of given you this thing of this is just what Christians do. You know. This is just the Christian life. And it, it's, it's, just, it's a great life. It's the greatest life. Um, it's, not, it's not a burden. It's not a trouble. It is at times painful because if you push back the darkness, the darkness rebels against that. But here's the thing. It's partly why you're in community. It's partly why you're all in it together. Because it's very difficult it's very difficult to make it on your own. There's very few people who can do it. And even people who go out and live in the desert, you know, they get destroyed by that unless they're extraordinarily, extraordinarily strong people. And even they, you know, are tortured by if you read the ancient desert fathers, they're tortured by the things that assault them. We need each other, that's the bottom line. It's brothers plural, you know, after our big brother. We live together in a family. And, you know, the goal is, I mean, the goal is you want to be in a church where everybody is tugging on the same end of the rope and that, that, that you know, that you know everybody's tugging at mercy, at the cross, at forgiveness, at love. That's what you're trying to do. It's the, it's the gospel for today. I mean, there's some pretty difficult parts in there. There wasn't even time to talk about cutting off your hand and pulling out your eye, um, although you notice that the disciples didn't do that in the text. So um, there's some amount of either figure... Figurative speech or pause there, one of the two. But there is a great amount of live together in mercy and love and help other people. It's it's all over the place. So anyway, immediately then, and immediately this all seems like trouble. This means pain, this means suffering, humiliation, terror, death. Which are not, if you said to people, what kind of life would you like to have? Normally people don't say, I want that life. Normally people... Don't say, if you say to what kind of life would you like, normally people don't say, I'd like you to execute me for crimes I didn't commit. People don't normally say that, right? So um, ultimately, and this is why the Christian life can be painful, not only because of our own sins, but once our sins are forgiven, and once we're drawn into this life, you're still in conflict with the world. You're still opposite the world. Because basically, as the Catechism says, we're being we're being asked to love God and serve our neighbor. And the whole world is about focusing in and polishing up your Facebook page. Your whole world is about focusing on yourself. Um, much of the political speech on all sides is happening right now. I really wonder whether people really are thinking about me or whether they're thinking about themselves with all the stuff they're saying. And that, if you could probably do an analysis of whether it was ever true in American culture, I don't know or not, but... If there was ever a time that was more self-centered than right now, I'd love to know about it. But I just have the sense when people are talking about how much good they're going to do me, they're really talking about how much good they're going to do themselves. In all directions. It's sort of blanket criticism. Okay, so, um, you know, God wants us to give up our work for his work, to follow where he leads, to treasure the divine lot with our own impulses. So here's the thing. At some point, we're going to talk about Trimming yourselves back and having a bit of discipline. You know, if I can muster it, um, you know, I'm gonna to talk to you a little bit about even spiritual disciplines, about fasting, for example. So I was wondering, you know, what it would be like if some of us, for Advent or Lent, the two traditional times of year, if some of us sort of it wouldn't have to be a big deal, like I wouldn't it wouldn't be a big deal, but it'd be more like, what if we actually took seriously the notion that some demons are only cast out by prayer and fasting? The early church took that seriously. Right? I mean, then even the disciples said, we, hey, we can't get the job done. And Jesus said, yeah, that's because there's not enough rigor to what you're doing. Right? We have to figure out what that means. It would be very interesting to talk about what that would mean. Not in sort of an evangelical pietist, we fast, you don't, we're better than everybody else. It's not that at all. That's polishing yourself up. This would be about what is it that we really, really need, or better would be what is it that Jesus really, really wants or it would be interesting to check instances where Jesus fasts, for example, or where Jesus prays or Jesus you know goes away for a time. And what would that mean to live in that image? That's kind of where I want to get to by the time we move on just a little bit. Here's the thing. The great joy of St. John is how smart you are. I don't know. I was somewhere where some of you had preceded me, and then somebody was given me, was well, given you. I meant to actually... They were, they were giving me a lot of compliments about you, which is they were, they were giving a lot of compliments to you about how theologically sophisticated this congregation is, which is really cool. But, but what that means now is, in, the, in kind of the economy of what we're doing, is you've got to know things before you do things. So, I mean, the cool thing is, is you know a lot of stuff now. You know a lot of stuff. But, you know, it's like no one Kilimanjaro was there. You know, the real point is to climb it, right? I mean, you know stuff. You've got to know. You've got to know. And that's why Jesus reveals himself in his life and in his word, in his baptism, in his Eucharist. He reveals himself in the Holy Trinity. You've got to know where you're going. Christ is the center of your life, and the Father is the center of Christ's life. So it's you pulled into orbit around Christ and together as a brother in love and service to your Heavenly Father, and that's Eden restored. That's the line we're trying to follow. You following Christ home to your Heavenly Father, energized by the Holy Spirit all the way. That's where we're going. But that has a very practical, practical meaning. The great news that all of you have been in Bible study for 10 or 15 years, the great news is you know a lot of stuff now. This isn't new stuff. Now, But the next step is, How do we encourage? How do we love? How are we merciful? How do we help? What's the best way we can spend our money? What's the best way we can spend our prayers? You know, where things have fallen off, how do we restore those? Maybe your prayers have gone. I talked to somebody the other day who's like, we used to have family devotions and family devotions that have dissolved in some chaos between, you know, soccer and show choir and kids playing golf and running for student government. You know, maybe this doesn't happen to all of you. (laughs) I bumped into my doctor yesterday who was like, I'm, there's nobody busier than my doctor. I bump into my doctor. and his, He's got a kid with an ice cream cone. He's like on his fourth soccer game of the day. And it's, you know, I was coming up to church. It was one o'clock. I'm like, holy cow, you know, it's, it's everywhere. It's very hard to order, manage your life in a way that is in the image of Christ. That's where we're going. So you know a lot of stuff. And now it's the doing. It's not just the knowing, it's the doing. You know, intellect sees, intellect sees, but the will chooses and acts. That's where we're going. Okay. It's like the uh, Chinese saying, "To know and not do is the same as not knowing." That would actually, "To know and not do is the same as not knowing," would be. Uh, that's almost Jesus. That's pretty good. Yeah. So, so point six. If you flip the page, how is such a thing possible? You know, not just in theory. There's all kinds of people who are names on a page. There are people who call us for weddings, and they haven't been in church in four years, and they say, what do they say to me? And we say, they haven't been to church in four or five years, they called to put their name in the wedding, and we're like, gosh, we can't remember who you are. We don't have a picture. We don't have a current address. They say, and then what do they always say on the other end of the phone? But I'm a member. I'm like, what? What are you, like a member of What? You're you're a member in a computer bank somewhere, but you're not a member. A member is somebody who's at the Eucharist this morning. That's a member. In fact, every once in a while, when somebody defies us and takes the Eucharist, sometimes people say, "Take, well, I'm going to take the." E-. This doesn't happen as much as it did when I was earlier here. There was this people who would you know show their independence by come to the Eucharist, and we don't. I mean, I can count on one hand, less than one hand, the number of people I've refused the Eucharist to over the year. But if they did it, we'd say at the door, and then they would sort of like, yeah, I took the Eucharist even if I'm not. i like, hey, this is, I'm a Baptist, I took the Eucharist. I'm like, yeah, and now you're a member at St. John. Congratulations, here are our <laughs> envelopes. We would like to get your picture and get you into the thing, because you know what? We've got work for you to do here. There's a cleanup day on Saturday. We'll expect to see you with a rake in your hands. That's a member, you know, more of a member than so. How is this possible? Not just in theory, not just the name and a page, but really, really possible, Concretely now in this community. Well, or as I put it to you often, how can we make life beautiful again? Only if it's a gift, only if we're comforted and satisfied. You remember one of the ways I attacked this was what satisfies your soul, you know. People have restless souls, they they come to a point in their life they're very unsatisfied. I told you about how monks work, you know, they big burst of energy, then often a long period of dissatisfaction. And only in late life and then in death do people sort of say that was all worth it. And that goes back to the icon stuff we did last year, which is, you know, Rowan Williams saying, you can't, you just can't see what your life, you can't even see what your life means while it's in real time. In real time, you almost never know what your life means. It's only when you stand back or it's only when you get to heaven and Jesus tells you what your life meant. I'm sure you've had this experience where somebody comes up to you. You've had this experience where somebody comes to you and thanks you for something that you did. You taught a kid music 10 years ago, and they come up and thank you. You don't even remember the kid's name, right? Or teachers. It happens with teachers. It happens with teachers. Somebody says, hey, you, you know, and uh, you don't know what your life is worth until somebody tells you later what you meant to them. That's what it'll be like. That's part of what will make heaven so much fun. You have a long experience of, I mean, at least if you're a Christian, you will. Now, what did he mean by that? Here's what I meant. <laughs> your good works follow you into heaven. It's very clear. 1 Corinthians 2 and 3. Your good works, the evil things are purged away. Hay, straw, things that burn up. And gemstones and uh, you know pockets full of gold. That goes in with you. Everything is purged, but your good works are with you in heaven. So part of the fun of heaven is seeing how those good works all fit together. That's going to be fun. It's going to be great. It's part of the reason you do the right thing even when you don't know what good it will do. You do the right thing because it's the right thing. You live the Christ life because it's the Christ life. Because it's Christ's job to sort it out. And put all the pieces together. So you can imagine heaven is this ginormous jigsaw puzzle. And each of you and all your works are pieces. And as you arrive, you know, the pieces start to fit together. And at the last day, there will be this glorious panorama that will take you an eternity to sort out. It's going to be great. And then we find out all our teammates that have worked with us. Absolutely, yeah. All the good you've done and all the people who have done good to you, that all becomes clear, right? It's great stuff. It's going to be great stuff. All right, so we start with the most practical assurance. All things work together. And point seven, it's not accidental. It's God turning it to our good, God loving us, God strengthening us, God spinning us into orbit. I posed to you kind of of a spiritual director question last week of have you seen it? Uh, I just want to go back and kind of brush up against that again about whether or not you've seen it. You know, Sometimes you've seen it. Um, when you don't see it, what do you do? So, I mean, here's the thing. It's very easy for me to stand up and say to you, just do the right thing. God will work it all together. This is what Christians do. Go to the Eucharist. Chop, chop. It's almost 1045. Okay? Now here's the thing. If that's not your experience, when you leave today, what do you do? Just really honestly, what do you do? do? Or what would you invoke? Or how would you proceed? Because I'm aware that this may not be your experience. I'm also aware that, you know, you know, some, I mean, we happen to be in kind of a really good period in our life, in our marriage, and in our church, you know, things, it's just, you know, we've had times which have not been very good. And, um... You know, maybe you're in a good time, maybe you're in a time that's not very good. If you're, if, you're, if you're in a good time, this all just kind of, it just feels like you're part of the program. If you're not in a good time, though, how do you console yourself? Okay. Sorry? Prayer. One is to say your prayers. One is to just say your prayers. Um, what else? Go to the Eucharist is a huge thing. Um, and saying your prayers is a huge thing, too. I didn't mean to play those off against each other. Because that's the divine touch and prayer is divine listening. Ramona, you're gonna say did you have your hand up? You right. That eventually you kind of know that it'll work its way through. Right. No how bad can get, and what the do. Exactly. The motion just going through the motion one foot in front of another pushes you to a new place. So for example, let me suggest to you that that's what people talk about when they often talk about patience. So patience, we often think of patience as just kind of sitting there. You know, sometimes it is, but patience is also putting one foot in front of the other with the confidence that God is actually going to work things together. And some days you don't have the confidence. But you. this is why your life is ordered, and this is why action is part of your life. Because if you just sort of sit curled up in a ball someplace, it never gets better. You know, it gets better as you move through life, and God pulls you near. Um last thing I want to say which is partly then uh, I actually would love for you to kind of consider the notion of Jesus' wisdom that your big brother is leading the way and he knows the way home and he leads you places that are safe places even though they're painful you know and that what he leads you through the valley of the shadow of death maybe we could take that a little bit more seriously or as the psalm say out of narrow straits into wide places he leads you through these places and you can't see up, down, around. You know, you don't know where you're going, but you know you have somebody who's leading you and you know that person is wisdom. So, I mean, you just keep going. Trust is ambiguous. Patience is ambiguous. Confidence is ambiguous unless, but action is not ambiguous. Being touched by the Eucharist, saying a prayer, being merciful to somebody else, even when your own life is troubled, those things are not ambiguous. You have a real object of your affection, of your love, of your mercy. And sometimes you are the object of affection and love and mercy. And that's what fits together as a Christian life. And you just keep going, honored, amazed, humbled, respected, forgiven, known that God works it all together. That is the Christian life. That is what the Christian life is. The Christian life is following your big brother home. That's what it is. The Christian life is being pressed into the cross. That's what it is. There's a dozen different ways to say it, but it is all the same thing. It is to live the divine life. And you're supposed to have that now. It's not something for when you drop dead 20 years from now or 30 years from now or 10 minutes from now. It's now. And that's what the church is meant to be. That's what the church is meant to be. It's meant to be mercy in action now, both receiving mercy and giving mercy. Very clear. That's a Jesus life. Yes, Don? Mary Ellen has a sign. Keep calm and carry on. I think that would pretty much bunch up all of Mary Ellen's life. That's pretty good. Eh? I mean, well, I and that's not... You would that. Well, I, the thing is, it's not, it's not easy for her to live with a famous published author, by the way. <laughs> so uh, Don's new book of poetry is out. So if you want to go into the book signing, now's the time to RSVP. We've got to go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. <laughs> Thank you. You can grab uh, number two. We'll do that next week then. Cheers.